0: I did bring my timer this morning. Last time I preached long. I I will say this, though. The next morning, I think it was, uh, your preaching elder Josh texted me and told me I was only third place. I can't remember if the term second loser actually came out of him, but the gist was... He wasn't that impressed with my length. Uh, It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. If you have your favorite copy of the Bible with you today, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. The letter to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'll be reading chapter 9 in its entirety. And I will stop reading in chapter 10 verse 25. If you're ready for the scripture, say Amen. Amen. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offered for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not meant by, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For since the law has, has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said the above, you neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and in sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, we come to you this day and God, I just want to confess before you and before your saints that you are God. You are creator almighty. There is none like you, Lord. There is none to compare to you. And the only way that I or any other man or woman can understand this word is if you give us understanding, Lord. And so we pray and ask God that you would give us wisdom and understanding of your word, that your spirit would be amongst us and, and would quicken us to hear the message that you would have us to, to hear today.
1: Father, I thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank You for the
0: ministry that You carried out on this earth when You humbled Yourself and became flesh. You lived a perfect life on my behalf. You offered Yourself on my behalf at the altar in heaven. And Your ministry in my life continues as You ever live to make intercession for me.
1: And so, Lord Jesus, I praise You. We pray above all things, Father that the Lord Jesus be lifted up today. And it's in His name that I pray. Amen. The
0: focal text this morning is going to be chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. The book of Hebrews, I have known for quite some time, is, is an anonymous author. Nobody knows. There's several people that have a theory about who wrote Hebrews. I'm perfectly content not knowing. It's not, a, it's not a big thing to me. I know who ultimately wrote the book of Hebrews, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. And so the small details matter not. Uh, I have just recently learned, I don't, I don't know if, if maybe I just didn't pay attention, but, but it stood out to me this, this last go around here as I studied through here, that the recipients are pretty anonymous. We really don't know who the Hebrews were. We only know that it was a group of Hebrew people at some church somewhere. We don't know where this letter was sent to, only that it was sent to a group of Jewish people. Now, there are three groups of people addressed in this letter, all of whom are Hebrew people, but there are in this group born-again believers who have been transformed from the Orthodox Jewish, the Levitical system of, of sacrifices and the priest going into the Holy of Holies and, and offering those sacrifices that we just read about. There are a group of, of Hebrews who are, are close to that and believe that the old way is still the right way. And then there's a group of people that are addressed that have an intellectual understanding and they have accepted intellectually who Jesus was they understand with their mind the, 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 the details of the gospel that we proclaim today but they haven't made a full commitment to Jesus as Lord they haven't given themselves over fully now this uh, this bothered me because I, I, I can't, I couldn't, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around, well, how can you intellectually understand those things and not accept it? But as I, as I contemplated, and I know we're not supposed to base our doctrine on our own feelings, I know that, but the truth of the matter is, that's where I was for years and years and years until I was a born again believer. I didn't, I was taught, I was taught from, from my childhood by family members. That Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on the cross to pay for my sins and that we celebrate the resurrection on Easter. I didn't doubt any of those things. I was intellectually convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. But I hadn't fully committed myself to Him mainly because
1: I thought He did that because I was good. I thought I thought Russians were going to hell
0: and communists, those are the people that are going to hell.
1: People from Southern United States, while well, we're the good people. This is the Bible Belt. The book of Hebrews, from
0: chapter one, verse one all the way to where we stop here in chapter ten, verse eighteen. Is, is a systematic explanation of the superiority of Christ from the very beginning. He, he teaches here, the author of, of, of Hebrews teaches the superiority of, of Christ's position in, in chapter 1. He has a better name in chapter 1. He's better than the angels in chapter 1 and ending in verse 2. He has a greater message. He is a greater messenger in chapter 2. He has a greater salvation. He is a greater Savior. He's better than Moses. He, he offers a better rest. And, and you have to understand that he's writing to these Hebrews who are in, they're, they're grounded in this Levitical system. And, and so this author is, is writing them and saying, look, you're, you're clinging to a system that's second best. Christ is superior in all of these ways. He has a better name. He has a better ministry. He is the king. He's a better priesthood. The spirit of Christ in priesthood in chapter 4. He's Christ as high priest in chapter 4. There's an exhortation to, a full, to making a full commitment to Christ in chapter 5. Then we get into, in chapter 7, Christ's priesthood is like Melchizedek. The King James Version says, after the order of Melchizedek, and there's a, there's a wheelbarrow full of truth that you could just preach and preach and preach on, uh, what that means and where that leads us in our doctrine. Throughout the messages of, of the superiority of Christ and all of these ways that we might consider, and, and the thing about... The thing about the distinction between the Hebrews embracing that Levitical system of sacrifices and what we as Gentiles kind of just naturally flow into because of the fallenness of our flesh is they're not very far apart. They're just not very far apart. I have never had a time in my life where I expected a, a priest to go into the presence of God and offer sacrifices for me. But listen, I lived a whole life and I still struggle to this day, even as a believer. I struggle with the idea that my flesh constantly conjures up that that I am somehow earning a a meriting favor with God. Working my way into His favor. When the story here, the account here of of the better priesthood, the better sacrifice, the superiority of Christ, really the The foundation of the gospel message is that I have nothing to offer, but I have been given access, availability through the only one who can offer. The only one who has the authority. The only one who was a a perfect sacrifice, a perfect priest. Takes me out of the picture and says, lay yourself down on who Christ is. You read the King James version. I remember, I remember hearing a sermon years ago when I was still reading the King James Bible all the time and, and there was a difference between those Scriptures that said believing in Christ and believing on Christ. And I went through, a, I went through and looked up a bunch of those
1: Scriptures up one time. Sprinkled... At least six times through
0: Hebrews, there are warnings sprinkled out. Well, I'm only going to cover three of them that happened previous to our focal text this morning. There's a warning against drifting from what we have heard in chapter 2. There's a warning against disbelieving the voice of God in chapter 3. There's a warning against degenerating, degenerating, that means going back on what I've committed to already from the basic principles of the oracles of God. There's a comparison made of the, of the Hebrew people in the wilderness. They, they witnessed. They sit there and witnessed, you know, and you read through that and you think, golly, if I saw God pour water out of a rock, I'd never turn back. Yeah, you would. But There's a warning here. Don't, don't turn
1: away from that. And that brings us to the invitation. This is the
0: believer's response. I, I will only deal with the positive response to the new covenant. There is, beginning in verse 26, a negative response. And, and, and I'll just say this very quickly about it. There's only two. There's only two responses to hearing the facts that open up the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for His elect. There are only two responses. I believe that there is a magnifying glass here for, for, for what I see in this particular spot in, in Scripture. There's a, there seems to be a magnification for this group of people who are intellectually convinced but have not yet committed themselves. Of course, the message is going out to those who, and Peyton and I had a discussion about this last week. The, the message goes out to everybody. The gospel message goes out to everyone. But when somebody's not interested, you, you come to a casting your pearls before swine kind of an issue. They're not, they're not interested in the things of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, but, but I'm never going to be drawn to the Word of God unless I have a need in my life. The Lord presses down on His people before they know they are His people. He presses down on them. And they, and they sense a need. There's something wrong. What, what can I do to fix this? When He knocked Saul down at the ro- on the dirt in the, uh, on the road to Damascus, He said, What can I do? He sensed there in the presence of the
1: Lord Jesus. What would you have me to do? This invitation here is the positive response. The negative response are the
0: apostates. And let, let me just break in here real quick and say, I and I was telling Hushbeck, and I and I shared some with Josh this week. Very seldom am I nervous about preaching. I just, I'm, I just don't get very nervous. I'm pretty, I'm pretty dogmatic about things. Uh, you know, if, if you drive a Chevrolet, I might make fun of you and never feel bad about it because I'm a Ford guy. If you ride a Suzuki, I will, I will just ridicule you because I'm a Harley Davidson guy. And that's just the way it is. That's just kind of the way God wired me. That's my, that's my character. And that's okay. God makes, God makes all kinds of characters. But, when it, but sometimes when it comes to sharing the gospel or, or being confrontational in some way, uh, I, get re, I get anxious about it. And when I do, it always causes me to step back and say, well, what's going on here? Uh, is this... Is this, a, is this an attack? Am I saying something that's so, you know, because here's, here's something that I, that I always think about. Number one, I'm depraved, and so a good message doesn't come from me. Though a lot of times I'll say, is that just me? Am I just, am I just wanting to glorify my own self? I, I want to witness to this guy. I want to share the gospel with this person. Is that just me? Well, no, it's not you. You don't have good in you. You didn't come up with that.
1: And then the second thing I'll say is is, uh What if I'm wrong about that? What if that's not
0: right what if i'm what if I'm being arrogant about that and that's and that's and I'm
1: incorrect The enemy of our soul that we learn from scripture
0: is still roaming the earth and is all around us. They don't mind the demons and Satan himself, who is, who is not omnipresent, he's, he's one person or one creature. They don't mind if you say you're a follower of Christ, as long as you don't start acting like one. They will allow you to say you're a Christian all day long and never give you a hard time. My, my daughter used to show pigs at show pigs, the most expensive bacon and sausage you can dream of ever eating, like we were millionaires eating this super expensive sausage. And in the show ring, she had these little whips, and I was thinking about the when I realized that this was in fact where we were going. And if you know your Bible and, and you listen to what I read a while ago, you, you know we're, that we're fixing to come to the forsaking of your gathering of yourselves together. And this is why I was nervous. And I was thinking about facing this, and it, and it caused me to think about that whip. Have you heard the saying, uh, let's, let's, uh, something about the elephant in the room? I'm, I'm going to take a show whip and walk the elephant around the room. And let's just get it over with. I was nervous about this. I'll say this first. Not, not in any order. I just, I'm just spitting them out there. For one thing, we have church members who have been gone for months and months and months. Before that, faithful people and, and prominent. I guess you could say prominent. I don't, say, I don't want to be in that in a negative way. I mean, faces that I'm used to seeing. And so there is a, there is a danger there of, of, well, my flesh says, man, what if, what if I say something there and, and, and preach that and then folks leave out there and say, who's that guy? I mean, we've been here for over two years now. Maybe longer than that. I'm not even sure. A little over two years, between two years, three years, I think. And so... So some of you are, are really getting to know us. And, so, and some better than others. My, the small group that we're a member of, I mean, they, they, they know some intimate things about us, and we've really grown close. And so there's a danger there in my heart. I think, man, you know, they know better.
1: They know I'm not spiritual. As we continue to walk the elephant around the room,
0: I think the main reason that I was nervous about this, about proclaiming this, because I've preached from Hebrews. I've preached the gospel from Hebrews chapter 9. I, I preached a message. Uh, in fact, I have the points here. Uh, all, all, this, all this culminates, this, this from one to 10.18, it kind of culminates there about halfway through the ninth chapter. And, and, and the message that I have written somewhere, if I could find it, is, is that Christ was mediator on the cross He was mediator at the altar and He is mediator on the throne. His ministry continues. He's my mediator. And so I've preached through here, but I've never preached, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Here's here's the second reason I was nervous about it. Because this has been preached to me by by three men that had a, a tremendous impact on my initial discipleship. And and listen, I'm not throwing them under the bus. I don't want you to think that. I'm not talking bad about my old preachers. Okay? Because no matter what happens with those men, two of them, I believe, are are gone on to be with the Lord. One for sure, and I believe the other also. No matter what happened in those men's lives... One of them preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus to me. And his failures, he he could just have a stack of failures from here on out. I will still be indebted to him for all of my life. Because he preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to me. And over a period of time, sitting under his preaching... And, 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 he's, and here's the way it happened. He opened the Bible verse by verse preaching through the Bible and said, this is how a believer responds. This is how a believer lives. This is what a believer sees in, in the temple in the tent, and, and the tent and the things to come and the shadow of Christ. And this is what a believer does. And over and over and over, I kept saying, is that me? And That doesn't sound... And eventually I said... I thought I was saved all this time, but I've not been.
1: But those men preached this to me, and I became very legalistic about it. And I thought, when
0: I came to this again, and I felt very strongly about preaching this, and I thought, I'm going to be very offensive and I don't want to be. Because the only way I've heard it proclaimed is... No, maybe I said that wrong. The only
1: way I received it is a better way to look at that. I was legalistic about it. The believer's response, look, at, look with me at, at verse 19.
0: It says, Therefore, brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. This is on the basis of what you've been told from one to 10.18. On the basis of the, of the argument of the superiority of Christ, here comes an invitation to respond in a positive way. Here comes an invitation for you to take all of that information and say, yes and amen. Therefore, brothers, it's based on doctrine. If you pay close attention to every invitation to come to Christ in Scripture, it's always based on doctrine. Now, it may be, and it almost certainly will be, your life circumstances that draw you to there. But it's not your feelings that get you saved. It's not your emotions. It's not your circumstances. It's not your financial place that draws you to Jesus, it's doctrine. Doctrine. The invitation in Scripture is always based on sound, solid, foundational doctrine that Jesus, He is King.
1: He is Priest. He is sacrifice. And He saved His people.
0: The, in verse 22, we have let us draw near. In verse 23, we have let us hold fast. In verse 23, let us consider. That's faith, hope, and love. That's really the... If you get salvation down to its ones and zeros, to its,
1: to its most basic form, it's faith, hope, and love. He says, confident to, to enter the holy places. Since we have
0: since you have been shown that you have confidence. Now, this is something new to a bunch of Hebrews. You know, now I've never been to Jerusalem, but I have heard and and, and seen and I believe that if you go into Jerusalem and you go to the place where they believe the temple stood, that there are signs put up in a border that says, Orthodox Jews, your rabbi has commanded you do not go beyond this sign because we believe that somewhere in this area stood the original Holy of Holies. And lest you put your foot on it, don't even get inside this area, Orthodox Jews. There's still a fear for them to come into the presence of the Lord. But we have a message right here that based on the work of Christ, I have... I have the authority given to me, bought for me, that I can come with confidence into the presence of holy God. Now that's a new thing for these people. That's why he keeps repeating it over and over and over and over. It's a new thing for us too. The high priest went in once a year in the old way. Now the veil has been torn. Christ went in one time. He was called the... You've been chosen the the great priest forever, it says, earlier in the chapter, earlier in the book. That's new. The the veil's been torn away. This is is a new approach. Since I have been given this, this argument... The invitation is, since you have been given this argument, that you have now the right to enter into the presence of God.
1: Since you've been given the evidence, there's an invitation. He
0: goes on to qualify that. By the blood of Jesus. In chapter 10 and verse 3, we saw the sacrifices were were just a reminder of sin. You know that uh, that's offensive to me. I have things, I have things that remind me of my sin all the time. I get reminded of my sin all the time. I don't know if that's a common thing it's amongst, amongst human nature because I don't speak it out loud very much. I mean, a lot of that stuff, hey, I'll tell you what, I'm thankful and I will and I will say out loud to the Lord with my lips, out loud to him all the time. Lord, I'm so thankful that you didn't expose me.
1: How embarrassing it would be for the people of God to really know that he was merciful. In in 10 and 6, he said, you take no pleasure in those sacrifices. Back in 4.16... says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that
0: we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. And so, based on this argument that you now have the authority through th- in Christ, you now have the authority to go in on your own into the presence of God, there's an invitation. There it is, take it. I see stuff on the road, golden treasures on the side of the road. My wife, my wife hates it. We'll be cooking down the road at highway speeds. Woo! Whoa, 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 that was a Craftsman screwdriver. I recognize the handle. We'll put it in reverse and back up. She's going, oh, how many screwdrivers do you have? Well, that one's laying there for free. <laughs> That's kind of what this invitation is. He's saying, look, it's right there.
1: I've shown it to you. Just take it. Here's the evidence. Draw near. Forget that old way. It's not getting you anywhere. Let
0: us draw near. The justice has been laid on Christ. That's the fear, isn't it? That's the fear of going into the presence of God. Sometimes I will go to the Lord after I have, after after a, a severe disobedience. I mean, look, look, I'm disobedient every day, but there are other times, and I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about. There are other times it gets bad, you know. And have you ever gone before the Lord and you're done with it? Maybe it's gone on for a couple of days and you're done with it, and you just go in and you can't even speak. All you can do is just sit there.
1: And in my heart I say, well, here I am again. The fear is that I'm going to be condemned
0: for that failure. The fear is that I'm going to go before the Lord and He's going to say, you know what, I've had it with you. I have given you chance after chance
1: after chance. Now I've, I've had it with you. But the justice, according to what
0: we're seeing here in God's holy word, the justice has already been poured out on the Lord. He was the sacrifice. The Lord is satisfied. God is satisfied with me
1: through Him. He satisfied the Lord for me. Way back in the creation account,
0: when Adam fell. Did you notice Adam, Adam, it says he walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. And I, I think, you know, I like to be in the woods. Sometimes if I get stressed out, and I hadn't done it a long time because I'm getting old and I don't have as much energy as I used to, but I used to tell my wife, i got to go walk the brush for a little while. I've got to get out of town and, and go out in the woods. I just like it there. It's better. It's better in the woods. It really is. And uh, when I think about Adam being in this perfect garden, I mean, this must be some garden. And it says he walked with with God in the cool of the day. What a magnificent time that must have
1: been in innocence in the garden with the Lord. But when he fell, when
0: that woman... (laughs) That's what he said. he said. that woman that you gave me, when he fell, it was closed. Bang! The Lord immediately put a fiery sword in front of that tree and said, your
1: access to me is closed. And it remained closed until the death of the Lord Jesus. And he opened it again.
0: The fiery sword has been quenched. He says,
1: based on this argument, through His flesh, the curtain... Let me me read it again. Therefore, brothers, since since we have confidence to
0: enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened through us, the curtain, that is, through His flesh... You see, His flesh was... The veil. When, when the priest went in yearly, only the one was allowed to go in there, like we read, and he would brush back the veil to go into the Holy of Holies and he would make the sacrifices. Maybe you've heard about the accounts of the people that would, they would tie bells on the high priest and put a rope around his waist. Now this, I, as far as I know, this doesn't come from Scripture, but I've heard it. And it makes sense to me, so let's say it. They didn't trust him. That's, that's the gist of the story. They didn't really know. Well, how do we know he's qualified? I mean, he's the high priest, but we don't know what's going on in his life. And so I have, I have extra biblical accounts say that they would tie a rope around him and they put bells on his waist and send him in. And if he continued to move around, they could hear the bells ringing. And if the bells stopped ringing, they knew. Well, we better drag him out of there. We can't go in there.
1: I don't think that's scripture. Very quickly, because I'm running out of time.
0: When his flesh was rent in
1: twain, the veil was removed. The argument is that the invitation is,
0: since you have been given this argument, since I have shown you the facts behind this argument, you have now access to God. There's an invitation. There's an invitation. I want to deal very, very, very quickly with the new and living way, says it's a new way. One way it's new is he's alive. The Lord's alive today. I, I'm, I'm 99% positive that in, in nowhere in Scripture can we find any sacrifice that was given and then came back to life. That sacrifice is done.
1: It's over. But Christ is alive. He is risen. He's, that's the living
0: side of that. He says it's a new way and it's a living way. It has to do with His being risen. He had to die and rise again that we might die to sin and self and rise again to newness of life. Living for Christ Jesus. He made the way for us. It was permanent. That's new. He entered once, we just read, entered the holy place once for all. The sacrifice was complete. The word new in this verse is, is a peculiar word I discovered in my study. And, and its direct translation
1: is freshly slaughtered. If you read this, it would say he's a freshly slaughtered and living way.
0: This book apparently was written about 30 years after the crucifixion, crucifixion of Christ. And so 30 years to me, I think, for 30 years later, and he says that's, he's freshly slaughtered, that seems peculiar to me. That was 30 years ago. If I think about something that happened 30 years ago, man, it seems like a long time. Sometimes I'll remember, I'll have a memory, and, I, and I'll start to do the math. Let's see, when was that? When was that? And I said, Golly. That's 30 dang years. What in the world? What happened? But he says here, that's a, he's freshly slaughtered 30 years ago.
1: Well, that's still true today because the the validity of the sacrifice of Christ
0: has not lost any of its effectiveness still to this day, when you as a believer reconsider and the, and the gospel becomes fresh and new to you again, that's because it's, He's still a freshly slaughtered sacrifice. That sacrifice has just as much power
1: today as it did on the actual day it occurred in time. And it's a living way that applies to us.
0: Not only does it apply to Him, it applies to us. I had a very good friend. We all know the, the Scriptures, Ephesians 2. It says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. I had a very, very good friend of mine. My best friend perished. And it's really the, it's really the closest thing. The Lord has been very merciful to me. I haven't had to face very much of that in my life. But I did face it with Michael. And uh, while he lay in the casket during the viewing time, I was just, I was overcome with grief. I mean, I was just, I was overcome. And, And I would go to the funeral home and just sit with him. I wrote him an apology note. And I put it in his shirt pocket. And 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 a promise to do a couple of things in his absence.
1: And I would I would put my hand on him while I talked to him. And it was widely known that we were the
0: best of friends. In fact he was a I don't this is this is something to say from the pulpit of God. He was a mean drunk. And there was a group of people that kind of knew, if he gets like that, call Mick, because he can calm him down. I mean, it wasn't just me. He was close to me also. We were the
1: best of friends. We didn't have to be tough guys in one another's presence. We shared. I did share the gospel with him before he perished. I, I find great comfort in that. But my point is, as close as we
0: were, those hours that I sat with him and 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 rubbed his hands and his belly and spoke to him those those gentle and and, and intimate things, there was never a response because he was dead. He was no longer in that body. And when one is dead in trespasses and sins, there is no spiritual response. The things of God are foolishness to that person.
1: But Christ breathes breathes, the, the, the,
0: breathes life into the nostrils. Just the way that account is, when He created Adam, it says, breathe the breath of life into His nostrils. Spiritually speaking, when He awakened me, He breathed the breath of life into my spiritual nostrils and I came alive. Spiritually speaking, it all meant something new to me. It's a new and living way. This is a new and living way to come before God. He made me alive. In verse 22, the invitation is, draw near we have a calling in our lives to draw near with a true heart is the qualifier. Now, I have misspoken this in the past, I must confess, because I have said to people, there's nowhere in Scripture where, where your, uh, your sincerity is involved. And, and what I meant was that you can't prove that you've been saved by how sincere you were on the day that you walked the aisle or, or whatever. But I misspoke that. I said that too strongly. Because there is a sincerity involved. Scripture tells me right here. I come to Christ with a true heart. A genuine heart. uh, uh, With no superficiality. No hypocrisy. I come to Him with nothing to offer. No hidden agendas. A true and genuine heart. Calling on Him. I want to be a part of this. Offer. I have recognized that you are the sacrifice, that you are the priest, and I want it. It's possible to be deceived in that. The Bible says in Matthew, many will come to Him on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name and do many great works in your name? And He'll say, depart from Me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, these are church folks. They're shocked. They're standing before the Lord of creation and stunned.
1: Wait a minute, what? You're saying I can't get in? Look at everything I've done for you. They wasted their life. With the old system. Y'all remember when Josh preached through Jeremiah? Y'all
0: remember that? All 278 chapters? No, it was good. In Jeremiah chapter 3, he says, and, and he's talking about God, God brings down the hammer. He brings down the hammer on Israel. I mean, He hammers them for their sin, for their idolatry. He says, they played the whore, and He just starts hammering them for it. But then He turns, in, in, in the 10th verse of chapter 3, He turns the attention to Judah, and He said, You witnessed that. You witnessed what I did to them. And in all of that, you still didn't turn to me with your whole heart. See, there's a sincerity that's required. You turn to me in pretense, declares the Lord. Again, in chapter 24 of Jeremiah, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. He says, draw near in the full assurance of faith. Only faith pleases God. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. In October 1929, the stock market fell. People had faith in money. And hundreds of millionaires, or I don't know if they were millionaires, hundreds of very wealthy people jumped out the window of their skyscraper because they recognized their faith was meaningless. Everyone has faith of some kind. You have faith every time you open a can of canned food and eat it without thinking, you have faith. You're you're using faith. Every time you get a drink of water out of the tap, you're using faith. You trust that water. You trust the money in your pocket that it's worth something. You trust your 401k. You have faith.
1: We all exhibit faith in something. He says, in the full assurance of faith,
0: with our hearts sprinkled clean, that's God's side of salvation. God sprinkles my heart clean, but with using the the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice He made, washed with the pure water, that's my responsibility. Staying in my Bible. Seeking after sanctification. Sanctification. I, absolutely, it's the work of God, but He has
1: called me to chase after that sanctification. To examine myself.
0: Two things happen when you're saved there's a spiritual cleansing. Two things happen. God is satisfied, you're changed. You could say, sin is covered by the blood, your life is washed by the water. It's an issue of positional satisfaction and practical sanctification. He says, draw near to the Lord in, in, in light of what you heard. Draw near to Him. The way is there. Open it. Take it.
1: In full assurance of your faith. Not only do we draw near, says the positive response to the
0: new covenant, is hold fast. Hold fast to the confession of your hope. The validity of your salvation will be proven by how you hold fast. Every one of us has witnessed it. Somebody comes in, they make a profession of faith, they stick to it for a while, and then they're gone. They didn't hold fast. What happened? Was it them?
1: The profession was weightless. There's a a surefire
0: way to know who is actually truly saved. They'll be there at the end of it.
1: (laughs) And you see, you see the danger
0: before that. There's a parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8. And the great crowd was gathering, and the people from town after town came to him and said, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed, and some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and it grew up and withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out. And some fell in good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold the validity of your faith will be revealed by how you hold fast to the confession
1: of your hope. And I must say at that point,
0: that's what grieves me about those who have been gone for so long. The third thing As we draw to a close, the saints consider how to stir one another up. Let me read it from my Bible. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love And good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now it's interesting to me what's not here. This is how. This is what. This is what the Lord used to. to, to break open this new window of understanding to me in this, in this area. Because what's not here... Do you, remember, uh, do you remember Nebuchadnezzar? In Daniel chapter 3, he says, And the herald proclaimed out aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. But you don't hear that from the Lord here. He doesn't say, look here, you're responsible to show up and you've got to sing four songs and you've got to, give a, you've got to take the Lord's Supper and you've got to go through this ritualistic, or I'm going to get you. He He doesn't even say, if you're sincere, you said you
1: were sincere about it, if you are, you're going to show up every Sunday, and you're going to worship me. He says about church attendance here, consider how to stir one another.
0: You see, when God sanctifies you, the whole, the, if you get sanctification down to the, to the ones and zeros, I know I keep using that same term, I don't have much. If you break sanctification all the way down, what is it? Is God conforming me, tran- no, 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 not conforming, transforming me, He's transforming me by the washing of the water of His Word to love the things that He loves and to hate the things that he hates. I hate... You know, there is also a danger, because this, this is a politically charged issue right
1: now. This is a politically charged, let's not beat around the bush. And I'm a fairly political guy.
0: I hate socialism and communism. It just occurred to me just just the other day. Matter of fact, Josh has mentioned it a couple of times. I don't know if you realize it or not, but the United States is going to fall. We might not see it. I don't know. I hope we don't.
1: But based on Scripture, this is not the end of things. But you
0: know what? I'm okay. I'm okay. Now, I think this is the greatest country that's ever been on the earth. I love it here. I love being a citizen of the United States of America. But I ought to hate socialism, not because Russians did it, or not because Germans embraced it, but because it goes against the Gospel. The Gospel says to me, I don't deserve anything but hell. And if God strips all of my worldly possessions, He has saved me, and that's okay. He's already given to me more than I could ever, ever deserve. He saved me, He took on the wrath that was due me. Socialism says, it's not fair that that guy's got more than me. You ought to take part of it and give it to me. That's against the gospel. That's why I ought to hate it. One of the things that God loves, we know from Scripture, is His church. It says that, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He loves His church. And so as He washes me clean, I ought to love His church
1: more and more and more. If you'll give me, and I know I'm going long,
0: very quickly, I must do this. If you give me the liberty, church, to to put the pause button on the preaching of the gospel
1: and share just a tiny piece of my personal testimony. It scared me to preach this because I haven't lived it. After
0: 12 years of being a Christian, and I'm not talking about a Sunday morning Christian, I'm talking about the whole shebang. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Bible studies, preaching, teaching, pastors all over the community calling me, asking me to fill their pulpit for them. My wife at Vacation Bible School, I mean, we were there every time the doggone doors were open, tithing, doing all the stuff. After 12 years of that, someone I don't even know offended me.
1: And I said, you know what, if this is the way it's going to be, never mind. Just let me be a normal person, Lord. Now,
0: I look back now, and I, I know that, that that's not the full story. There's a deeper story that says, while I was doing those things, I was drifting away. I wasn't doing them for the right reasons anymore. I was doing them because I've already said too much. I mean, even if I find a Chevrolet pickup that's better than my old Ford... I can't drive it. I can't
1: let people see me in town because I've already said too much. We fell out of church for almost two years.
0: And I wish that I could say that during that time, it was between 18 months and two years. I wish that I could stand here and tell you that during that time, I kept write, reading my Bible and, and I kept doing word studies and, 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 and deep, deeper Bible studies in, in certain texts and, and listening to MacArthur and Sproul while I worked and, and, and praying. I wish I could tell you that I came to my wife one day and said, you know what? We've had a break. We've had a little vacation. But I'm convicted about not considering my brethren, not being an encouragement to them. And so our vacation's over, honey. It's time to go back. That's not what happened at all. The Lord, and I'm thankful, I'm thankful that I can say with David, I experienced the affliction and now I'm grateful that you afflicted me because it drew me back to you. But that's what happened. The Lord... Press down hard on me. And, and looky here. Everybody wants to go straight to Job. The Lord doesn't have to send the four winds and knock your walls down and smash all your kids. He doesn't have to take away every sheep and goat and cow and camel that you own to press down hard upon you. He is in control of your heart if you belong to Him. He can
1: take away your joy while you're making $100,000 a year. He can take something from you and suddenly you
0: realize He truly is a God to be feared. And that's what He did to me. Praise His holy name. One last thing about that. My wife, is an individual saved by sovereign God. He has used her in my life especially, and and certainly in the lives of my children for sure, and, and probably others. He's used her
1: more than any other person in this world in my life. As far as spiritual things. And so I know that that she belongs to Him and she will have to
0: answer for that time. She will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ on that day and, and, and answer. That's one of the things that's going to burn up. She'll have to answer for that time that she neglected the gathering, the assembling with the saints. And that's true. But listen to me, husbands.
1: I will have to answer for that also.
0: I led her out of church. I led my children out of church. And I will have to stand before the Lord and face that. It's going to be painful for a a second. Hopefully it's very, very quick. Now look, I still have a full confidence I know I'm forgiven, but that doesn't remove completely
1: the consequences that I'm paying even now to some extent. For my brothers' and companions' sake, I will
0: say, peace be within you. It's what Peyton read in this 122nd Psalm. 119th Psalm says, I'm the companion." Of all who fear you. Those who keep your precepts. When David in First Samuel chapter 18 gave his account to Saul. Saul said, what are you thinking little skinny boy? What are you thinking? And David stood up and said, who is this man that defies the army of the living God? And he gave his little speech to Saul. And Jonathan stood behind the curtains over there and he listened to it and it says, as soon as David was through speaking,
1: as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. In closing, We're missing some folks. And we have a responsibility of calling on our lives to consider how to stir them up. And I must recognize that
0: I have to consider how to stir you all up because I will certainly fail again and I will need you Stir me up. Father, we love you today. And God, I know I'm, I'm not adequate to, to speak your word. But I'm so very thankful, Father, that your word is powerful. That it's not about me. Your prophet Isaiah said that when your word goes out, it always returns to you having accomplished the purpose that you sent it out for. And so, God, I rest in that and I trust you. Lord, I pray for the rest of this service, Father, that we would experience You and love You. That when we take the Lord's Supper, Father, that we would consider Christ in a true and genuine way. And I pray for the folks that are gone today. I pray for the folks that have been missing. Lord, show us in Your Word how to stir them up to love and good works. Give us a heart to love your church in the manner that you love your church. God, I love you. Thank you so much for saving me. And it's
1: in the name of my great priest that I pray, the Lord Jesus. Amen.